0: Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through His Word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. Good morning, church. How are everybody doing today? How's everybody doing? All right. I'm doing well as as well, doing well as well, and uh, so excited to be here this morning. My name is Pastor Craig. I haven't had the opportunity to meet you, and what a privilege and honor it is to bring God's Word. I love it each and every time. Consider such a privilege, and to do it at home uh, is unlike any other. Uh, I haven't preached in three weeks, and that feels like eternity. So I was finished with this message today on Tuesday, and it's been about the longest five days of my life. Uh, But we had an amazing Mother's Day last weekend, and the weekend before, uh, we started this series called Emotions. Everybody say Emotions. Of course, the byline, dealing with how you feel. If you didn't receive a message card on your way in, uh, if you would, just raise your hand right quick. One of our ushers would be more than glad to serve you. This is a guide for the message. Of course, you can find this on UVersion as well if you open up your phone, your smartphone. If you have a dumb phone, I can't help you. But if you have a smartphone, you can open up the version app and, uh, and you'll see it there as well. But uh, Pastor Becky did a great job last week ministering to our ladies and ministering just to the heart of our church. And uh, we're certainly grateful for her ministry. I, I just want to make mention real quick because some of you seemed to not believe uh, what she mentioned. And one of the things she mentioned is that in one of our all-night prayer gatherings... Uh, at a church previous to this that I did a scissor kick off of the drum set and she made mention that I would be able to do that again in the future or I'm poised to do that again and so I just want to show you proof long before I tore my L4 and L5 in the lower back. I did do scissor kicks off the top of the drum set, okay, and so this is me coming off of the drum set and so this is proof, all right, I got many more of these pictures but this is, pr- I'm the one in the back by the way, uh, yeah, I'm not the one up front, so I'm coming off of the top, right? And so I'm a good—I don't know, maybe eight or ten feet. Felt like twenty feet, but uh, that was back in the youth ministry days. And in some way, I still feel like uh, I have that uh, advantage at 31 years old to know very clearly the pitfalls of my youth. But yet, I got two houses. Well, I've got a mortgage and a rental house that I'm actually renting, and so I pay bills. And so I feel kind of like an advantage of being able to speak to both sides and both generations. And I really like that, so I kind of embrace that. And um, I'm so excited about what God's going to speak to us today. Romans chapter 7, if you'll go there with me, I want to preach to you a message today that's really burning in my heart for you, and I think, um, I think God is going to speak to us in a really, really clear way. So much of what happens, church, over these next few moments is going to be in direct proportion to the expectation you place in hearing God's Word, and uh, the same person can hear the same two different people can hear the same message and have a totally different response. And uh, I pray that your heart is ready today. I want to read just a few verses to you, if that's cool. And um, I want to kind of get a flyover. We don't have necessarily the time to read all the text. But I want to give you a flyover of this this area of Romans 7, moving into Romans chapter 8. We begin with me in uh, Romans chapter 7, beginning at verse 15, reading from the English Standard Version. The Apostle Paul said, For I do not understand my own actions. I don't understand them for I do not do what I want but I do the very thing I hate I do the thing I hate jump frog frog leap with me leap frog verse 9 for I do not do the good I want but the apostle Paul says but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing now we're going to talk today about this Human condition. I'm going to do my best to explain, it. I'm going to do my best to unpack it. And at the end of the message, what we'll do is we'll find ourselves at the antidote and the only answer to this life of contradictions. Paul in Romans chapter 7 begins to describe and divulge for us what it means to have uh, the human condition, his battle with the human condition, with the urges, surges, desires, unrenewed emotions, the impulses, the feelings, the appetites, and emotions that we have as human beings and so the apostle Paul's like look I struggle with this too he says and I believe by the way uh, fundamentally Romans chapter 7 is post-conversion Paul now I don't have time to give you my whole background maybe you want to talk after the gathering I think when you really do exegetical look and exegetical work Romans 7 is post-conversion Paul a lot of people teach that it's pre-conversion Paul and so now he has post-conversion experience in Romans 8 if you study the passage this is post-conversion Paul so Paul has met Jesus Paul has believed in the saving grace of Jesus Christ he's put faith in the Lord Jesus. And yet he explains as a leader of leaders and a pastor of pastors, he says, you know, I still have within me these contradicting impulses. I have these contradicting feelings. I have these contradicting emotions. I have these contradicting desires. And and, and I make a new resolution just like me, just like me. The apostle Paul says, you know, it's January 1 and it's a new year. So I'm going to make a brand new, you know, New Year's resolution. And before the month is out, I've already broken my resolution. And so what Paul begins to do is describe for us the emotional plight of a human being. And we're all subject to this. Nobody is outside of this. We all experience this. I just want to level the playing field before I jump in this morning. If you're in the room and you're 18 years old and you think one day I'm going to be super old like Pastor Craig, right? I'm going to be like 31 years old and and these feelings and temptations I face as an 18-year-old will dissipate and they're going to be eradicated and eliminated and I will become a floating saint, Life will be awesome for me. I just want to let you know that's not what happens. I'm 31 years old, and I'll go on public record. Can I make a confession today? I am absolutely embarrassed by the feelings I have as a 31-year-old pastor sometimes. I am, publicly would not admit to you the emotions I have as a 31-year-old pastor who leads people. They never end, folks. They never end. They don't dissipate. You don't move out of them. You don't graduate from them. And I remember sitting in church at 17 years old and thinking, you know what? If you would have told me I'd pastor a church at 31 years old, I would say, you know what? I'm going to be so free from these elementary adolescent desires. They're going to be gone from my life. They'll be fully eradicated. I'll be so mature. That's just not the case, folks. At 31 years old, the only thing that has changed is I love Jesus a whole lot more than I did at 17. I love my wife a whole lot more than I did at 17. And I think I've made some progress in my desires and my my journey with Christ. But these desires are still within me. The only difference is there's a whole lot more at stake now than there was then. So we've leveled the playing field. So we're all in this together. No one's exempt. Paul says, this is what I want to do. Often, I I don't do it. And then when I tell my friends, I'm never going to do that again, give me 20 minutes, and I'll be right back at it. And he comes into chapter 7, verse 25, he's like, who in the world is going to deliver me from this body of death? In other words, I need some help. I need some help from outside of me. And then he moves into what is called the great eight, Romans chapter 8. Probably the single most jam-packed, theologically beautiful resurrection passage in all of the New Testament. Perhaps the whole narrative of Scripture. Charles H. Spurgeon called Romans 8 the great eight because... Romans chapter 8 brings the conclusion, the totality, and the answer to the gospel in Romans 5. To the question of, does the gospel lead to more sin in Romans 6? To the question of, does the, law, does the gospel lead to live by the law in Romans chapter 7? And finally, Paul gets to Romans chapter 8 and he says, Okay, here is literally, actually, listen to me, how you live, love, and look like Jesus. I want to give to you. I'm going to tell you. You ready? I want you to see how you live like Jesus. You ready, folks? And this is what Romans 8 is. Now what I want to do is I want to leapfrog through Romans chapter. Right, just a let's just get a flyover real quick. You ready? Start in verse one. This is the answer to the human condition. How do you overcome conflicted emotions? What's the answer to how human beings really change? Let's listen to the Apostle Paul. He says in verse one, "Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus." Leapfrog with me, verse five. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Leapfrog with me, verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy. Aramaic phrase for Daddy. Very intimate. Verse 16, final text. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Now listen to me, church. What I'm going to do and attempt to do this morning is tell you how people really change. How do people really overcome conflicted emotions? What I'm not going to do and what I'm totally uninterested in doing is telling you stuff that really don't bring change. By the way, prayer doesn't change you. Did you know that? In prayer, God changes you. But we lead people to believe that prayer changes you. Or we lead people to believe that giving changes you. Or we lead people to believe that church attendance changes you. Or we lead people to believe that singing changes you. No, folks, the only answer for me not acting on my embarrassing desires as a 31-year-old pastor is that God does something so profound and so incredible at the core and the depth of my very being. That's the only chance. So I'm going to do my best to unpack for you what is inherently and fundamentally spiritual. Because the truth is, the only way we change is this radical spiritual act of the Spirit of Jesus who comes in and collides with the deepest part of who we are. And I'm going to do my best to explain what is actually very radical and very otherworldly. But the only thing that has brought lasting, true, definitive, transformative change in my life, the only thing that's really ever brought the ability for me to overcome conflicted emotions is this one area, especially as it relates to emotions. Pastor Chatham and Michelle at my house last night, last night and we were talking about this very issue. And this is really honestly what I believe, that what the heart trusts, the mind begins to justify, the emotions begin to desire, and the wheel carries it out. Everything in your life flows from the heart. The heart trusts something, the mind justifies it, the emotions desire it, and once the emotions have desired it, the emotions are desiring that which you feel is most stable, or what you trust deep down within you. Now your willpower carries it out. It all begins in the heart. See, it's one thing to attend church, it's one thing to sing songs, it's one thing to drop money in a bucket, but it's an altogether different thing for God to collide with the inside of a human and bring you to what it means to be a human being who has a connection with His or Her Creator. That's altogether different. So I'm titled on this message: Overcoming Conflicted emotions would you pray with me real quick father what i want to do right now is i want to take this space that we have and i want to place it right in front of you and i'm asking you in these moments to let the word of god come alive in your people let it come alive let it transform hearts and minds we pray in jesus name everybody said now for me Personally, following Jesus, in my journey of following Jesus, is a lot like the experience I had fishing with my grandpa when I was about eight years old. Now, I grew up fishing. I lived right next to a lake. I lived in a neighborhood called Lake Sight, and so I was on the river most of my childhood. I was double tubing James Bond, jumping from tube to tube, jet skiing. I was on the lake all the time, but we didn't jet ski till about noon, so we went out on the bullet bass boat about 7 o'clock, and we started fishing, okay? I had been used to bass fishing, plastic worms. I would fished most of my childhood, but when I was about nine, 8 or 9 years old, my grandfather one day, my grandfather, who we called Dada, my cousin, who's a year older than me, we got together, and we spent the night at his house on a Friday night. We were going to get up, Andy, on Saturday morning and go fishing. But this time he bought us ultralights. Now, ultralights are amazing. It was springtime, and we were gonna go crappie fishing. Sometimes in the deep south, they call it crappie. We call it crappie. At least where I was from, it was called crappie fishing. You could eat them, right? You could get a limit of 15 a day. They're gonna be over 10 inches, and we loved to crappie fish. But it was one of my first times ever going. And the crappie fishing, you always try to find structure underwater. Sometimes in the winter, you go and drop Christmas trees in the water, then you tag them with buoys, and you come back to that and you fish on the on that, or you 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 try to cast it up under some Branches on the edge of the of the shore, and and you try to snag with little grubs and little jigs, and use minnows and all these different things. And so the next morning we get up, and my my cousin and I, Justin, we go and we put the the trailer hitch, the ball, uh, the trailer of the of the boat onto the onto the ball of the truck. But we don't actually get the lever underneath it. But we at least thank God put the chains on the back of the truck. And so we hop in the trunk. My grandpa's excited. I'm going to take the young boys, the grandchildren. You know, we're going fishing today we pull out on a very, very busy area called Hickson Pike in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and we do, we're driving down the road, and all of a sudden, the boat's about, you know, 30 feet to our left, you know, we look in the rearview mirror, and the boat is going off of the side of the road, and the chains, one of the chains is holding on, and so my grandpa pulls over, he's like, what are you kids doing, right, I mean, it was like a low moment, right, we're like, oh my God, you know, if he would have stopped, he's trying to slow down slowly, you know, because if you stop too quick, then the thing just busts right through the back of the truck, right, and so it's kind of this low moment. We go, we put the boat in the water, and we get out there, and all of a sudden, about 10 minutes into fat fishing, I catch a good crappie. I mean, we're starting to tear up this crappie. Well, then it's like the heat wave hits, and, and so we go to this low moment, to this real high moment, and now it's time to go up to the seashore. And so my grandfather's like, here's how you don't get your 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 bobber and your hook caught in the trees. He's like, Justin and Craig, here's what you do. Take your ultralight, which bends really well. Grab your jig. I want you to pull back with your left hand so you don't Flip the bell, pull like this, and throw it. Because when you do that to try to get under the tree, you hit the tree. And then he has to get the trolling motor out and go up to the edge over and over because we've caught so many trees. So he's like, pull it back like this, aim it really low, and let it go, and the whole thing will fly. And so we're trying to do this. You know, Justin, I'm about eight or nine years old. And we're doing this, and all of a sudden, I get caught in the tree. And my grandfather's like, he's sitting up at the front of the boat. He's the captain. He's like, whatever you do, stop pulling at it. I'm like, whew, whew, you know, and that tree's like moving. You know, the whole limb. You know, like all the mayflies are flying around. You know, because they hatch right there on the edge. And he's like, "Don't do it. Stop doing it." And all of a sudden, I'll give it one big yank. And when I do, that bobber releases. That hook releases, and it flies through the air. And the sound is is unmatchable, right? It's like, you know, it's flying, and it flies through the air and hits my grandpa right in the back. Wow. hits him right and he goes uh, you know, like this and he turns around and for about the next 10 years we use this at every family function he's like uh, you know I mean it just smacks him right in the back and and you know those moments you can't laugh and it makes it worse and he's mad, dude. He is a mad dude. He's already a mad dude, anyways. Angry kind of guy. And my cousin and I are literally in the bottom of the boat peeing on ourselves. I mean, it is like um, we can't, and we, we know we can't laugh, right? And so it's kind of a low moment. And so I'm just like, all right, I give up crappie fishing. So a couple, of, you know, about 10, 20 minutes pass, and I'm like, all right, we've got about 30 minutes to fish left. So I'm going to do it again. All right, I've got this. I'm a man of God. Here we go. And so I get up. I'm a fisherman. I'm an angler. I'm a Bill Dance. You know what I'm saying? So I get up. And and I grab my, my ultralight again, and I pick up my ultralight. I flip the bell, and I'm like, I'm going to cast way out there, Justin. Watch this. And I pull my rod back like this, and all of a sudden went, boom, and something snug. Boom, snag. Boom, it stopped. And I hear, hoo! and I look, and I've got the hook in the side of my grandpa's jaw right there in the cheekbone. Wham! And I turn around, and he's like, ah, you know, and I'm like, Oh, my God. And I run over. to, to true story. I, I run over. He takes it out. And I'm like, oh, my dear Jesus. You know, it's like he's going to kill me. I sit down again. True story. So, so my fishing experience goes from a, a low moment to this high moment to this very low moment back to this high moment. You say, what does that have to do with Jesus and God? It's a great question. No, I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. What it has to do with God is. For me, that's a lot like my spiritual experience. See, when you look at a pastor, it may not look like that, but I have a lot of low moments, and then I have a lot of high moments. I have low and high. I have a lot of emotions. What I mean by that is that often in my low moments, after I find myself going, come on, Craig, you're a man of God. Stand up. You're a pastor. Do what you preach. Come on. You're a man of God. You can do this. And then all of a sudden, I find myself snagging somebody in the cheek. After a low moment and I work up the courage to do something again, I find myself hitting somebody with a bobber in the side of the back. It's like, okay, it's 2017. I'm gonna do it this year. Like, I'm gonna have a legit Bible plan. For like my first five years of following Jesus, like it's a legit Bible plan. I got to Leviticus and I stopped every time. I got through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and it's like, and then all the other Christians are like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm on Psalms. I'm like, good for you, you know? <laughs> Way to keep it up, Jesus, you know. But for me, I had these high moments, slow moments. So I have these moments. I'm like, come on, Craig. Come on. Focus. Discipline. It's a new year. And right when I'm about to get up in the boat to have another go, so often more than I would like to admit publicly, right when I'm about to give it another try, be nicer, be more like Christ this year, do something better, be kinder, right when I muster up the courage and the willpower, snag. And I'd like to tell you I'm snagging on other people and snagging on circumstances, but what I snag on almost all the time is me. My inconsistencies, my weaknesses, my emotions, my shortcomings, my fickleness, my humanness. And eventually, if you're like me, You're going to experience this emotional instability at times. You start to believe that Christianity is like this. How can I say it? You you start to believe like this. And I don't know you would say it, but you start to believe this. Um, Like um, Christianity is is this thing where you don't get to ever really do what you want to do. But you pretend like that's cool. and, And you have great moments. Like, you know, you have really high moments. But... But, you know, this following Jesus thing is a lot of hard work, and, and you don't get to have a whole lot of fun. But praise God. God's good, isn't he? You know, just let's just smile. You know, it's, it's awesome, isn't it? <laughs> wow. And, and that's what we begin to think Christianity is. And people look at Christians, and they're like, man, you guys don't have a lot of fun, do you? And the truth of the matter is we don't have a lot of fun because sometimes we're fighting ourselves. We're snagging ourselves. We get never really come to true transformation. We're never really able to overcome conflicting emotions. And, and so we know what we should do. We promise the world we're going to do it, but we don't always do it. And, of course, we tell you we'll never do it. Just give us a few weeks, and we'll be in the trees again. And we're snagged. Paul said, what I want to do? I don't do. Let me just be honest. And what I despise and what I actually pick on other people in the Christian community who are doing it, I do it too. I really need some help. Interestingly enough, Romans 7 has personal pronouns used 41 times. That means the Apostle Paul in Romans 7 uses I, me, my, and myself 41 times. Which is to say, Paul is giving us a window into the human experience. What is? That is to say that if you've ever come against the contradicting impulses, urge, unrenewed emotions in your life, within your own being, within your own self, then when you come against that, he tells us that the answer is not within you. The answer's not within me. The reason I snag on myself, the reason I get caught on myself, is I rarely look beyond myself to better myself or to improve myself, so I stay in this fractured cycle that will never produce lasting, sustaining, God-ordained transformation and spiritual formation. I'm here this morning, church. Listen to me very carefully. My passion is not where you have a moment this morning to say, you know what, Pastor Craig, great message. Look at my notes. It's for you this morning. To sincerely have a moment that becomes a catalyst for you to really come alive and be the person you've wanted to be for years. What God has for you. Before we go any further, can, I, can we just come to the agreement on one big thought? I want to address this head on because this is huge in our generation. This is a major, major truth. It's a false fallacy that the culture's saying, but we, need to, we just need to come together in one thought. This idea that's being popularized in the modern culture, and it's been popularized before the modern culture, but it has made a comeback, and that is that your feelings are truth. This is huge in our culture, by the way, that your feelings are truth. Like, this is one of the scariest ideas in our culture. Follow any person under the age of about 25 on social media, and within a few weeks, you'll get the word shenanigan, and this phrase, live your truth. Live your truth. This is huge. Live your truth. One of the scare We're being told that if you have feelings, dare I say repetitive feelings... For you to resist or fight those feelings, particularly in the area of homosexuality or the area of any sexuality, if you have desires, urges, sensations, feelings, and they're repetitive, for you to resist, fight, or question those, the culture says you are fundamentally disingenuine and you are not uh, authentic. So that when you have repetitive feelings, what you're supposed to do, if your feelings are not just feelings, Craig, that's who you really are. Those urges and desires, they define who you are. So you need to lean into your desires. You need to follow those desires. In other words, live your truth, or we could say it this way, live how you feel. Now, at face value, let me admit, that kind of sounds fun. Okay, I'll admit that. Until... You step back as a logical person and go, you know what? The whole constructs of society and governments and countries and continents are predicated on what, Craig? On people not doing what they want to do right when they want to do it, wherever they want to do it, with whoever they want to do it with. In fact, police forces are there and employed to keep you from doing what you want to do right when you want to do it. Why? Because if everybody did right what you want to do, whenever you want to do it with, whoever you want to do it with, it would be chaos. Live your truth is fundamentally flawed. They make for great hashtags, but horrible existence. Horrible living. So this idea is flawed. Like, that we all go from this place, like, oh, I felt it again. Pastor, oh, mm, here, I felt it again. Hup, felt it again. I'm going to do it. No. Question your feelings. Question your emotions. Question your heart desires. Question them. Don't trust them. Question them. Challenge them. There it is again. Oh, I believe living by feelings, church, is the most dehumanizing existence. It's called animalization. You become animals. We just live by reactions, we live by our emotions. That's just animalizing. I'm here to say I have never met a single person, if you have, please come talk to me, who said, hey, Pastor Craig, can I tell you my story? And they just listen, I've learned in my 35 years of, of, the, of living that whatever I feel, whenever I feel it, I just immediately act on what I feel. I just immediately, as soon as I feel something, boy, I just act on it. And the trajectory of my life has been steadily going up. I've been just rising better and better, you know. I've just Life has been amazing for me following the way I feel. No, no, no. I'm so happy and fulfilled. Never, folks. Instead, I meet people for the last 12 years in ministry who've taken this approach and they've embraced this simple yet toxic idea. And what do they end up with? a Craig, man, I, just, I don't know, man. I just, I'm lost, man. I just, I'm just lost. I'm lost, I'm, man. I don't, I don't know what. Do I, what do I do now? Living by your instincts is not what God designed you for. Living by your emotions is not what you want. The truth is, some of you sitting in the seat right now, you think you know what you want right now, but it's not what you want. Can I say it? God actually knows what you want, but I don't, I, you know, He knows what you want, and, and and I don't really know what I want, but I know that God knows what I want. So when I want what I want, I question why I want it, and then I wonder, God, is this what you want me to want? Because I'm wanting something right now, and I really want it. But if you don't want it, I don't want it. I mean, I do want it, but I don't want it if you don't want it. And so when I find myself is because you know what I should want, so I'm gonna want what you want, so that when I want what you want want. It'll be really what I really want. And that's the reality. Like, I think I know what I want. Like, listen, I don't want to be alone in a big house at 72 years old by myself. My kids despise me. My wife has left me. My grandkids don't know me. I'm sitting in my chair with a strong drink, and I'm saying, I lived it up. Have you ever met that person who says, that's what I'm looking for right there? No, but that's the majority of Americans because the culture's lying to you that living by your truth produces satisfaction, and it doesn't. That's where you live. That's the lie of culture. You end up that way. So that brings us to Romans 8. Paul says, that's where we're all at. Have we settled it now? The things I want to do, I don't do. Things I despise do and I find myself doing. So so where's the help? we we got to get to some help. What's the answer? How can we not be a statistic of our urges, desires, feelings, and emotions? How can I avoid being another casualty of this faulty idea floating around in Western culture? Well, he says, "Ah, give me some help. Give me some help. And it's radical how he starts. You ready? Romans chapter 8, verse 1, which is, by the way, one of the hardest to believe verses in all of Paul's writings. The most difficult, I mean, probably the most difficult verse to believe in the Christian narrative. Read verse 1 with me. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now stay with me now. I read that, and I do know if you're like me, I read that and I'm like, okay, Paul, you're a pastor, I'm a pastor. We, you're dealing with embarrassing desires. I am too. I'm with you. I'm cool with that. I'm, we're good. I struggle with that too. But can I be honest, Paul? I saw verse 1 being a little bit different than that. You know how I saw verse 1? I saw verse 1 going like this. Um, God will step in and do something radical on your behalf. Things I want to do, I find myself not doing. Things I despise, I find myself doing like, God will do something radical. And instead, he starts out the great eight, Romans chapter 8, talking about my position. Everybody say position. That's what Romans 8, 1 is about. It's about my position. And I'm like, okay, what's going on here, Paul? And he says the term in Christ. Everybody say in Christ. Now in Christ is a profound theological phrase that's used 83 times in the apostle Paul's 13 of 27 New Testament epistles. 83 times. What does in Christ mean? It's how Paul likes to define anyone who has accepted, received, believed what Jesus has done on our behalf. Second Corinthians 5:21, he made him that's Christ who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The gospel is what became and become. Everybody say became. And become That's the gospel. He became so I can become. He became, I become. He became, I become. That's the gospel. He became sin that I might become righteousness. That is the gospel. He became sin. He made him who knew no sin because he had no sin so he could handle your sin and he handled my sins so I could become right with God. Righteousness is not earned. Righteousness is not performed for. Righteousness is gifted. Jesus did it. He said, it is finished. He said, to tell us that Jesus' performance earned my right standing with God forever and ever. The righteousness of God. in Christ Jesus that's why we call it the good news by the way y'all gonna get with me this morning that's why we call it the gospel Jesus' performance Paul likes to describe the the space we live in as believers he calls it in Christ inside of Jesus there's one scripture Colossians 3 and 3 where where Paul says my life is now hidden in Christ with God now this is interesting The first thing to deal with the contradiction of the human condition, the first thing to deal with the contradiction of the human emotions and the radical, bizarre desires that you and I have and the emotions we're all subject to, Paul says from the outset, he wants to say that you must first understand that what you have is your position. The first thing to overcome in the human condition is understanding one's position. You must understand that no matter your age, no matter where you're at in life, whosoever believes in the Lord Jesus Christ will not perish. but have everlasting life. If you believe in Jesus, that means you've received the gift of Jesus. You've been gifted righteousness, and your life is now hidden in Christ. That is your position. Paul's church, it has become abundantly clear to me, abundantly, that one of the greatest challenges in all of Christendom today globally is accepting, believing, and understanding our position in Jesus Christ. For example, last year, I was given credentials, <clears throat> a position to work with some guys on the High School football team. And I became an FCA character coach, which just means chaplain, but because all the commissions get involved in it, they now call them character coaches. So I was, my name was on the credential list. I'm supposed to go to the gate to get in. And I remember going to the first game, I came and preached to the, was shared with the, the, the players. It is really preaching on Thursday nights. But then I shared with the players on Friday night and I thought, you know what, my name's on the list. I've got my own credentials. You know, I can go in, I have access to a stadium, a venue, my name's on the list because I have a position. So because of my position, I was given access afforded to me. Now I received these credentials, but let me be honest with you, the first game I went to, I did not know what was all available to me. My credentials enabled me to go anywhere. I didn't know that. I thought I had to stay in the stands. So I took Knox the first time, and we sat in the stands. I didn't realize until the the other character coach came to me after. He said, no, you can stand on the field with the players. We want you to interact, and you can go into the locker room. You can stay there in halftime. You can go wherever you want. But I didn't understand that. But let me just imagine just for a moment, if I went to that game, and for the rest of the year, let's say I stood or sat in the stands every time, and I was like, you know what? I don't even want to be on the field. (laughs) The field's flat. You can't see the game. I like the tiered seating. The tiered seating helps me see and view. You know? Like, I I don't even want that. Guess what that wouldn't change? My access. Because my position granted and afforded me a certain access. Whether or not I access it or not, it doesn't change my access. And it's become abundantly clear to me I have spent a lot of my days in Christianity sitting in the stands when I should be standing on the field. And I've met a lot of Christians. We look at the Christians with field access and we're like, hmm, I don't even want that. Hmm, I like my tiered seating. But the reality is, of course you do, and I do too. I want it. We look at other Christians and we're like, Man, how do you live like down on the field like that? Like, wow. Like, the Bible says I'm in Christ. That's my position. I, I have all of this accessible to me. Now, Paul is about to describe what I call progression. Everybody say progression. Now, because of his understanding of his position, he now explains to us what's available to everyone who holds this position. The first thing he tells you, he says, I promise this is the first way to overcome these embarrassing feelings. If you want to overcome embarrassing emotions and desires, here's how you do it. Here we go. Number one, your position has exterminated all condemnation. Your position has exterminated all condemnation. Now, I think preachers could preach on Romans 8, 1 for the next 10 years, and it would be good for our churches. Can I hear an Amen. He says, because of your position, condemnation is no longer a part of the equation of your life. Again, listen to me, church. You might feel condemned, but that's false. If you're a believer and you feel condemned, that's a lie. It's not truth. It's not predicated on truth. He says, you as a believer owe condemnation not one ounce of attention. He says, in fact, you can address and preach to condemnation if you want to. What does that mean? Well, for me, church, can I just tell you, condemnation comes as a really small voice. Inside of me that says, "Look at you, Pastor Craig. That was a good sermon, but you don't live like that, preacher. When are you gonna get with the program, buddy?" That small voice comes into my head and it says, "Ah, look, good Sunday, wasn't it, Pastor? Look at you now on Tuesday. <laughs> Woo, what if the what if the people knew?" And what happens is. Condemnation starts preaching you podcast after podcast after podcast after podcast. Here's what Paul says. I don't podcast condemnation. I don't listen to condemnation. I owe condemnation no attention based on my position in Jesus Christ. No, no. Which means to tell me and tell you that my position affords me firm connection and relationship with God. Folks, we have sabotaged ourselves when it comes to our Christian vernacular. You know this, right? Right? Like, I meet Christians who are believers, true believers, but they've strayed at some time. You talk to someone, and they're like, man, I got to get right with God, you know? I'm like, yeah, you, you know. I'm like, I need to, I need to get right with God. I'm far from God. I'm like, what? They're like, yeah, yeah, I'm like, I'm far from God. Like, like I'm in Boston and God's in like Montana, you know? Like, like what? Like, yeah, like I'm really far. I got to get it right. Like, God's so far away from me right now, man. Like, man, me and my, me and God, we got to get back together, you know? Like, me and God, we just been, man, we've been far from each other. I got to make it right, and. You know? What? Like, I got to make, what I'm saying, Craig, is I got to make a comeback. And I'm like, really? Did you know that's false biblically? According to Scripture, there's no truth in that. If you believed and received that there is no condemnation, that means there's no distance between you and God because you're righteous and you're within him. So even when you stray, you come back. So your comeback is more like remembering who you were. Come on, come on, let me preach for a minute. It's not your comeback like you have the willpower to come back to him. It's remembering who you are. It's remembering and recalling what he's accomplished for you. That's what this comeback is all about. And one of the things that will happen in your relationship with Jesus, which means that this is the end of the feelings of in and out. You're hot, then you're cold. You're in, then you're out. You're up, then you're down. Come on, Katy Perry. Right? You meet Christians like this, like, I'm in. Woo, woo, woo. I got that sensation. I'm in. I it's been a good week. It's like, oh, it's been a bad week. I'm out. Oh, I'm out. Oh, I'm out. Did anybody see how out I am? I mean, I can't, I can't even lift my hands because I'm so far out right now, you know? Oh, I'm in. Oh, it was a good week. I'm in. 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 Oh I'm in, I'm out. Oh gone. I'm out. Oh, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. Christ loves me not. You want to come to church with me? He loves me. He loves me. You should come to my church with me. It's awesome. We're we're believers. He loves me. No, quite frankly, you're, you're possessed. And people look at Christians who don't understand their position, and we wonder why Christ is not attractive. I'm in, then I'm out. Hot, then I'm cold. Which is to say, even you go on in the passage, here's the progression, it's amazing. He says, I'm in Christ, no condemnation. Then he says, those who, look, 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 verse five. Those who live by the Spirit set their minds on what the Spirit desires. Those who live by the flesh set their minds on what the flesh desires. Can I say contextually that verse five is not a performance verse? If you study it contextually, it's not a performance verse. The whole conversation in Romans 8 is positional. What do you mean? That means that this position in the Spirit is even gifted to you. I have to believe and understand that I'm now free to live in the Spirit position. When I know that I'm in Christ, when I know there's no condemnation, I am now free to live in the Spirit position. You know what that means, church? That means there's no vacillating between flesh and Spirit. Some of you too young to even know this, but they're like, you used to say in the church all the time, like, you're in the flesh. You know, like, you're in the flesh. It's like, oh, I'm in the flesh over here, and then on Sunday I'm in the spirit, and then I'm on the flesh on Friday. Can I be in the flesh, God, on Saturday? Because that's a whole lot more fun. And then I'm in the spirit on Sunday. And I like, and we're, no wonder we're worn out. Christians are like. <laughs> No, no, he's saying, now that you have in Christ, you have no condemnation, you are now free to live in the spirit position. That means, you know what? You've got to recall that all of your debts have been canceled, and now you live based on the performance of Jesus in the spirit position. And when you live in the spirit position, I'm about to get good right here, that what happens supernaturally is what begins to surface in your life is your attention turns from you all the way to Jesus. When you get out of condemnation, when you move to a place of the spirit position, your mind turns upward. Listen, if I'm in Christ, there is no condemnation. Why? Because condemnation keeps me in my fractured cycle of looking at me. And there's no power there. Listen, this is why every sermon must turn our attention to Jesus and not to ourselves. Because there's no power in ourselves. I don't care what you preach. You have to turn the attention to Jesus. And what happens is the spirit starts working in you. This is how people overcome conflicting emotions. And this is how it happens. You ready? Can I explain it just in layman's terms? This is exactly what happens. Hey, there's no condemnation, bro. Wait, what? Yeah, no, 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 no guilt, bro. No condemnation whatsoever. Really? How? Jesus, remember, he said it's finished. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, and, then, and then our attention turns here because we always think God's up here. And so are like, that's amazing. And, and you go from no guilt because of God, and you're like, God, you're amazing. That's unbelievable. There's no shame or no guilt. And all of a sudden, you get in the spirit position, and guess what happens to your mind? Your mind gets set on the spirit. This, my friends, is the only way I've seen true change in my life, ultimately. You listen closely. The renewal of the mind is not through new behaviors or even new beliefs. It's through beholding God. We become what we behold. You need to listen to me again. I'm going to say it again. Your mind does not get renewed through new behaviors, through new beliefs. It's through beholding God. We become what we behold. And all of a sudden, you start thinking, here's a progression. Ready? It's because of Christ. Wow. No condemnation. Fully accepted, righteous position. Awesome. God, we're amazing. You're amazing. And then your attention turns up. And now my mind begins to focus on Jesus. What you are looking at will determine how you feel. What you look at will determine what emotions you experience. So don't focus on your problems. Focus on your Savior. And you say, Craig... When you get to this point, what happens? You start having conversations with your friends, and you're like, hey, are you rediscovering the gospel again? Hey, did you read this? I read this in the Bible this week, and and when I read this, it was like, and this uh, connected to that, and I studied that. And, man, you preach to me, and I'll preach to you. And all of a sudden, this is excitement, right, because your mind is on the Spirit. Well, he goes on in verse 14. You following the progression? You following it? That's why it's called the great eight. He goes on, now my mind's here, no condemnation. I've got the position, now my mind's here. I'm I'm turned upward, and he goes on in verse 14. He says, how do I overcome desires? Look at verse 14. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. Wow. They're sons of God. And look what he goes on to say, verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've said, and many are led by the spirit of God, are sons of God. You've received the spirit of adoptions as, as sons to whom we cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy. Here's how I overcome desires. You Ready? Realize my position. My position grants me total immunity from condemnation. That means for the rest of my life, I'll never have one ounce of condemnation. My mind turns to God. And then something inside of me starts beckoning me. And I want to use that word very clearly because that's the word here beckoning. What do you mean, Craig? Here's what happens your friends are like, What's up, bro? Uh, what happened to you? I'm like, I don't know, man. Like, I don't know what happened. Like, this is what was so frustrating to tell my parents when I came to Christ, because as I went through this progression, I'm like, I-, I don't know what happened to me, mom and dad. I don't know. I just, like, You know, it's like, this is what happens. You meet Jesus, and you're like, well, what has happened to me? And and by natural inclination, you go back to your old lifestyle, attempting to go back to your old lifestyle, and you're hanging out with your friends, right? You're like, let's go, baby. Hit that song back. Let's do it again, baby. You ready? Let's go after this. It's going to be a night right here. You know what I'm saying? This is going to be an awesome time together, and you get in the party, and you're hanging out, and you're like, oh, my God. Something in me is just not feeling it tonight, you know? And you're like oh, just, you know, just push that down. You know. And they're like, hey, bro, you're a little bit weak. Ever since you started attending that church on the road, man, like something's wrong with you. You're, like, you're a little bit strange. You know? You're like, no, no, hit the song back. Hit the song back. I got it. I got it. You used to be the life of the party. You used to do these all the time. You know, it's like, whoa, whoa, And you're like, what is wrong with me? And, of course, you feel fine, but the party continues. And you're like, oh, I just don't feel good tonight, guys. I got to go home. But, of course, you feel perfectly fine. And all of a sudden, you leave the party because all of a sudden, God has been and here's what happens can I tell you what happens you become a bad sinner when you get set and the spirit beckoning you you become a bad sinner you used to be the life of the party now nobody wants to hang out with you this is what we don't tell people about meeting Jesus right we're like dude meet Jesus and everyone will love you no everybody will think you're weird and you will too what's happening Craig spiritual formation Spiritual formation is what's happening to you. The Spirit of God is beckoning you. He's leading you. He's transforming you. Anybody ever been beckoned by God? It is not comfortable. Now, this word "led." See it, "led." Do you know this word "led" in the Greek is this very forceful word? You know what it actually means. Many are led by the Spirit of God or sons of God. It means that God, in His sovereignty, picks you up when your feet are going somewhere they shouldn't go. And then he puts you where you should go. Now, that's not fun, folks. It's like, for me, it's like, I want to do that, man. I want to do that. I want to do that. Oh, God. hey, mom. Hey, mom. You know, it's like, you know, I plan to do things wrong. Like, oh, hey, mom. And every Friday night, you find yourself with your mom again, right? That's what it means to be led. That when you're following Jesus, when you understand your position, when you know there's no condemnation, when your mind turns to the Spirit, all of a sudden the Spirit lifts you up and He puts your feet where they're supposed to go. Like my wife, she tried to be a good sinner in high school and her mom found out every time she lied. What is that? Folks, the Holy Spirit's intrusive. He's intrusive. What is that, Craig? Oh, it's the Spirit working. And then he starts beckoning you. And when all of a sudden it starts to overwhelm your contradictions, and he goes to lastly, verse 16, here's the end of the progression. So now how to overcome my emotions? Position in Christ. Total immunity from condemnation. Mind turns to the Spirit. Get led by the Spirit. Picked up by the Spirit. Driven by the Spirit. Beckoned by the Spirit. Called by the Spirit. And then he goes to verse 16. And he says the Spirit himself... Bears witness with your spirit. So you understand your position. No condemnation. Attention turns to Jesus. Spirit starts to lead you. Spirit starts to beckon you. And all of a sudden, something, Casey, come on, is activated in you. Because Jesus has collided with the deepest part of your being. And when Jesus collides, church, with the deepest part of your being, oh, this is so frustrating because it's so hard to put into words Something so spiritual. When Jesus collides with the depth of your being, then what happens is all of a sudden, what surfaces in your emotions is this weird, profound sense like, I'm in a family. Like, Like... Brothers and sisters. (laughs) I belong to God. (laughs) Woo I only dreamed of feeling this way before. (laughs) Ah, I'm no longer alone. (laughs) The Spirit's witnessing to me. I'm His child. <laughs> Whoa, joy, unspeakable, full of glory. Like Nothing, I, nothing can rain on my parade. This is, it's a brand new day. Are you serious, God? This is, this is an amazing space, God. <laughs> wow. Amazing, God. And then you start getting this attitude like, I bet God's got some amazing plans for my life. Oh my God, I bet he wants to use me. I bet he wants to use me in ways I never dreamed. I bet he wants to use my life as a witness to his glory. I bet he wants me to do this. I bet he wants me to go that way. And then we start saying, quite honestly, this feels amazing gene peterson in the message translation oh dear god you've got to see it this message paraphrase look what he says in romans 8 it's right in your car this resurrection life you receive from god is not a timid grave tending life it's adventurously expectant greeting god with a childlike, what's next papa what's next daddy what's next dad god's spirit touches our spirits Who we really are. Eugene Peterson says this activation inside of you results in you saying things like, What's next, Dad? Woo! What's next, Papa? You wake up, all of a sudden you're free do next, God? What are we going to do next? You ready? What are we going to do? And when this begins to happen to you, and can I tell you, if you trusted Christ in this room, it's already in motion inside of you. You just need to surrender to this. This is already in motion. This is what He's trying to do to get you rooted in your position to understand no condemnation, to have your mind upward to the Spirit, to allow the Spirit to beckon and guide you, and then bring you to a place of such identification with the Spirit of God, with Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, when this begins to happen to you, God changes you. And what will happen in your life when you're 31 years old and you find yourself having some embarrassing adolescent desires when you had when you were 18, how do you resist that, Craig? Here's how you resist that. You realize there is a living God who has brought you into a realization that he is a dad, he is a papa who is preparing and planning and architecting something great with my life. And you start living with this attitude and expectation like what's next, daddy? What's next? What are you going to do next? Come on, papa. And people say, you're a Christian? You're like, yeah. And they're like, I've never met somebody like you before. You're a believer? Yeah, yeah. Man, I've never talked to someone like you before. And when I was at the funeral last week of my best friend growing up whose dad entered into eternity and I was surrounded by my four buds who all do not know Jesus and I was praying for them and some of you praying for them with me and I shared the love of God with them and just hung out with them it didn't take six hours it was probably four hours later I was at Pastor Chad's house and one of those friends who's not talked to me in years what happens is you run into people who used to kick it with and they say hey you're the guy who used to stop partying with us right and then all they're like can we hang out some soon dude because something happened in you bro Something happened. Why? Because this is the spirit of God. Come on in town. Let's fish, bro. I want to hang out. Can we hang out? What's happened? Romans eight. I pray today I have evoked and provoked you. I pray I've liberated you to lean into this year with a next with a "what's next" dad kind of attitude. What's next, man? I can't wait till tomorrow, Monday. Woo! It's gonna be awesome. Daddy, what you got planned? Come on, Papa, what you got planned? What's next, God? All right, Dad, what are we going to do next? It's going to be crazy, Dad. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be adventurous. I'm so expectant. I hope I've evoked you with the expectation and the desire. If it happened to Paul, it can happen to you. If it happened to a man who killed Christians, it can happen to you. That's all I want, folks. I'm a dad of three babies. And when I put my babies to sleep last night, I told them, you know what? God, I laid hands on them. I said, Lord, just let the great eight happen to them. (laughs) Dear God, that's all I want for my babies. I just want one day, Knox, to wake up and say, oh, my God. Oh, my God. You mean I can, have a, I can have a position of righteousness? I can have no condemnation? I can get my mind on Jesus? I can be led by the Spirit and feel a part of this family? If that can happen in my babies, then what greater blessing? Lord, just let grade eight happen to my babies. Just get a hold of them, God. Because that's authentic. and You become the person you've always wanted to Come the conflicted emotions that war within your soul. Wow. Would you bow your heads with me all across this room as the band comes, Lord Jesus? Your presence is in this room. I thank you that by the Holy Spirit you've come and you walk among us, your people. pray Holy Spirit in these moments that are so sacred there'd be people in this room today that would just accept, today's an accepting kind of response it's not about doing anything I'm not asking you to do anything, I'm asking you to accept what Jesus said is already reality there is therefore now no condemnation for them that are in Christ Jesus for those who have their obey the Spirit or please the Spirit, have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. Those who give to the flesh, serve the flesh, have their mind set on what the flesh desires. For you've received the Spirit of adoption. Then he cries out, Abba, Father, what's next, Daddy? The Spirit Himself beckons you and leads you. And all I'm asking today in this response is just to accept what's true. flow, let the tears flow. Can we be a place that always just responds to the Lord Jesus, responds to the unction of His Spirit? Some of you today, it's very clear that the Holy Spirit has beckoned you and He has nudged you and it's unmistakable. It's unmistakable. Sometimes you feel it deep down in your soul. Sometimes you feel a nod. Sometimes you feel a nudge in your back. I've felt it many times, but you know the Holy Spirit is clearly speaking to you today. Please don't complicate the process of being uncomplicated. I want to pray for you today. You say, Craig, I need to accept this. Oh, I'm not saying you're not a believer. Some of you, maybe you need to come to Christ today, accept the sacrifice that Jesus paid on your behalf. But others of you, you're a believer, but you still live so succumbing and yielding and acquiescing to such conflicted emotions and desires. Maybe you don't feel a sense of belonging to the body. That you're a part of a family. I want to tell you today, it's alive from the pit of hell. Some of you, believe, are sitting in condemnation. It's a lie. I don't care if you feel condemned or not. You're not condemned if you're in Christ. You're not condemned if you're in Christ. Stop listening to the voice of the enemy and trust the risen Savior whose blood is sufficient to cleanse you from every single bit of unrighteousness. It's His blood. Again, thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at www.dwellingplacemovement.org.